When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast, a weekly discussion about the National Hockey League's Boston Bruins, affiliated minor teams, and prospects of tomorrow's stars. Or fights to keep it in, does, has it in the corner to Sanderson, back in front door, shot, scores! Ray Bork. Ray Bork from the face-off circle to the right of Reggie Lindland. Fired it down and Whitmore blew it. He bounces down to Bergeron. He takes the space, pulling it wide to the right of Tatar. The snapshot over the Rossi gets loose and Bergeron scores. Patrice There are three ways you can support the show. We are available on Apple iTunes, SoundCloud.com, and on TheHockeyWriters.com, located in the podcast channel of the website. Now here's your hosts, Mark Allred and Rob Tomlin. Hello, Bruins fans, and welcome back for the 23rd episode of the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. This is the Craig Janney edition. After another two-week break, we're back talking everything Bruins, but first I would like to welcome back host Rob Tomlin to the show. Rob, what's up, buddy? Uh, I am very good. How are you? you? I'm good. You sound like you're tired. Yeah, I, I am today. <laughs> uh, just finished the game and then come back home to do the podcast. So, yeah, very tired. But it's always good to speak about the Bruins. So, can't wait to hear some more Bruins stuff. Nice. Um, yeah, like I said, we, we've been off for two weeks, but I, I wanted to ask you how your birthday was because... Uh, that was Jimmy VC day, and um, I didn't have a chance to talk to you. So, hope everything was well. Yeah, everything went perfect. It was good. Good. Chilled out. Had a work, but came home and chilled out for the rest of the day. So it was, it was always good. Excellent. Glad to hear it, man. Um, I just want to a real quick thing. We uh, we passed the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast recently passed uh, two thousand listens. And I, I really want to uh, just just uh, explain a little bit of gratitude, um, talk a little gratitude, I mean, uh, about how happy we are at this accomplishment. And to give thanks to, number one, the, all the supporters that listen to the show, uh, that, that is huge. You guys are, are constantly, we're constantly getting more listens every week, probably an average of 200 a week. And it's, it's awesome. 
But I'd like to uh, thank the people at SoundCloud.com for providing a, a platform. Um, Apple iTunes, of course, and, and the awesome people um, at thehockeywriters.com that have really hooked us up on their platform to um, open up a, a huge fan base to us, which uh, uh, the whole website attracts uh, two to three million visitors a month, and we've we've really hit some really good numbers since we started day one with these guys. So I want to thank all those guys that are involved, um, and. Ready to rock another show with uh, you know the dog days of summer going on, but I'm really excited about this. Um, we have a special guest, and he uh, he writes for thehockeywriters.com, and he also writes for causewaycrowd.com, and I'm a huge fan of this gentleman, uh, Brandon Share Cohen. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Awesome, I'm really excited to have you. Um, like I said, you know I, I've read your stuff, I, I love your opinions, and. And yeah, I look forward to hear what you, uh, you know, any any opinions or thoughts you have on the bees. So, yeah, I'm Appreciate glad to it. be here. Hope I can give some insight for you guys. Right. All right. So, I I got to start off with we haven't talked about it because we have been on a two week break, but uh, I I want to get back to Jimmy VC. Um. I, in my opinion, I was on the fence with him coming to Boston and not yes he's a um, I believe he's a good asset up front um, but on the other side I think he'd be a real pain in the neck to uh, deal with after his two-year entry-level deal so kind of happy that he went to the Rangers and kind of you know not happy but um, since since that happened and all the news and he, the Rangers signed him uh, I, I'm curious Rob to get your thoughts on on everything that's going on because we've We've actually talked about this a long time leading up to the August 15th day, which was your birthday recently, and I'd like to get your thoughts. Uh, I'm happy. I'm happy that he didn't come to the Bruins. I think he takes a roster spot from one of the guys who have worked their way up. I think it's time to give Griffith a shot. And we bring in VZ and he wants to play top six minutes and if he did that that would take away time from some of our younger guys so I'm, I'm kind of happy I know he could have been a stud and he could have been a great player but at the same time he didn't want to play in Nashville so he didn't play in Nashville and if he came here and didn't want to play here then he'd just leave so uh, I'm happy with the way things went nice Brandon how about your thoughts um, I'm going to be a little contrary here, but I think uh, he would have been a great addition. I was actually really hoping he would have signed with Boston. Uh, just having seen him at Harvard, seeing the numbers he put up, and just the way he played the game, I think it would have been a really good piece uh, to add, especially if you put him next to like David Krejci. He, uh, he would have been solid, but I agree with what you guys are saying. He, uh, he obviously didn't handle situation, the situation as well as he could have with Nashville. I think he, uh, he had every right to not sign with Nashville, but I think he should have made yeah. his intentions a little more clear and sooner. But, uh, yeah, I don't think he's really an issue in terms of uh, attitude. I don't think he would have just not played. But he's definitely yeah. uh, there's definitely a history now, at least a notable one that the media has made out, where maybe he's not the uh, you know the stud that he could that people think he is, based on the hype about him. But uh, he's a, he's a really solid player. Just watching him play. Oh yeah, he's he's got a really good like hockey IQ the way he plays the game 
and I, I do like the way he plays it was more it's kind of the uncertainty of whether he is a top six NHL forward to start oh I agree and then, yeah and then you look at how the Nashville thing went down you got to kind of keep that in the back of your head in case when it gets to contract signing time he's going into free agency is he going to do the same thing and just refuse to sign and go straight to free agency <laughs> so yeah, it's, there's always uh, it's fun yeah. Oh yeah, and, and for me, uh, and and the the the, the Ranger signing was very interesting because if you look at their 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 cap situation, um, when when his cap friendly uh, ELC deal that's entry level contract um, is over, you know there's going to be a cap casualty on that New York Rangers team, and I I have a feeling it's going to be a fan favorite to make room for him and that's one of the reasons why I'm kind of, I'm very happy that he's not coming to Boston because the Bruins are, are constantly a, uh, a ceiling team and I, I as I said in the other podcast uh, if you want to win in the NHL you got to you got to pay you don't see any of these guys that have uh, any teams that have 20 or 15 million dollars in cap space uh, anywhere near a playoff position or a Stanley Cup contender uh, and if you want to win, you have to get to that ceiling. So I, 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 I kind of see a Johnny Boychuk situation happen in New York in the next two years. Well, what surprised yeah, me the most? Sorry, go ahead, Rob. Uh, I, I was just going to say it, it seems like Rick Nash has been rumored to go out of New York for so long that you know that cap's coming off the table in the next two years. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I think it's it's not really that big a deal for them cap wise because they know they can move Rick Nash, and they'll just take a small part back for him. So uh, I think Rangers did the right thing on it. They know they can afford him. They know they've got room to fit him in straight away. So makes sense for them. Well, even when you look when you look at the Rangers depth chart, uh, their left wing and they have what Rick Nash, who you said they might be trying to move, Chris Kreider, who they they're very high on, obviously. Uh, JT Miller's a natural left wing, isn't he? Yes, I believe. Uh, yeah, but he can Michael. play center, can't he? Right, but then they also have Stepan Zibanejad and Hayes. <laughs> so oh, there's yeah. no room for him there. And then you got got uh, Grabner. So you put VZ in there. I mean, if you get rid of Nash, you can slot VZ in there somewhere. But you've already got two top six options with Kreider and Miller. Yeah. So it's VZ now with third liner? Well, oof. I know it. It depends whether they get rid of Rick Nash by the start of the season, I guess. Right. Or do they move Rick Nash on to the right side? Yeah, I guess and they then, have options. Because yeah. I know Rick Nash has played on the right side before, but it's one of them. But like, this is the thing we've been doing with the Bruins lineup all off season. Is mm-hmm. trying to work out where guys are going to fit in and how the <laughs> team flips around and. There's only so much team flipping you can do before your brain kind of fizzles out and pops. So, right. Yeah, it's it's fun to play RNG or GM, but uh, oh, yeah. there's only so much you can do before you're like, wait, where is this guy playing now, and what did I put yeah. this guy in? And, yeah. Confuse yourself by the end of it. For sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Plus, there's always a salary cap. <laughs> Got to consider. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's. You know that's pretty much what I expected from from you both on the uh, on the VC thing. There was uh, pros and cons on it, but uh, it, 
it's going to remain to be seen what happens when the se- upcoming season starts and, and how he fits and where he, where he goes. But, uh, you know, speaking of forward progress, movement, and the upcoming season, um, I'd like to get both of your opinions on where you see this team, um, evaluate this team with the minimal moves they made. I know they brought in Bacchus, which is a, 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 I believe it's a huge move, not only on the ice but the locker room. Uh, I think Bacchus is a, a, the type of player that can play the game but can also be a, a very powerful leader in there. And uh, please, if you have time, touch on the defense and the lack of moves on the defense and the belief that this team can still go forward with the original seven guys that failed in the past two seasons. Right, Rob, do you want to start with this or do you want me to give my two cents? Uh, well... I'll, I'll quickly touch on the defensive part of, part of it that you said, and I think this defense is going to look, look a lot different than they did last year, mm-hmm. because you're going to see guys moved around the lineup. Like I can see Kevin Miller getting a bit more ice time than he did, seeing out of the three right-handed defensemen that we had, he looked the sturdier of the three. So I could see him playing alongside Chara for the start of the season and then seeing probably Tory Krug uh, with Adam McQuaid on the second pairing just as that because they're a regular D pair now they, they tend to spend most of the time together so they know what each other are doing and then uh, Tory Krug's turning himself into a bit of a bulldog player as well he's been packing muscle on for the past two seasons and you can see him throwing the body around a bit last season so I think he'll be slightly different and then uh, and then the bottom pairing you're gonna you're probably gonna see Colin Miller get a lot of last time that you uh, signing that one way deal as well and then you've got John Michael Lyles and Joe Morrow so it's, they're trying to build that transition D that can move out well and Make breakout passes or carry the puck, but they're also having to do that with an aging decor that they've started to get rid of guys, but there's still more needs to go. So, but if you look at it cap wise, our, our defense doesn't really take up that much cap. Right, with I think the exception it... <clears throat> of Chara, Chara takes up the majority of the decor's cap. So, yeah, it takes up. Uh... It's just over 21 million. You take out the 7 million from Cherry, you're left at 14 million for six players. Yeah. It's not the worst in the world. And there's definitely room to improve once a guy like Chara retires. Yeah, and then you've got like the two contracts with McQuaid and Miller. I mean, I'm sure one of those is moved within the next few years. Then again, they seem very high on both of those players. They just gave the extension to Miller, and McQuaid got his last year. But they also signed Lyles to just a one-year deal, right? So that could be yeah. just a transition contract. Get the team a little more comfortable with that. Maybe have his veteran experience, have his uh, his leadership qualities in the locker room, help the young guys like Colin Miller and Joe Morrow out. Then in a year, that two millions off the books. Yeah, yeah. So I, could, uh, I can I can see like Colin Miller and Joe Morrow splitting the season and playing with Lyles because he's. He is a good veteran to play alongside because he's he's quite calm in his own end and and he can, can play both sides. America. Yeah, and he can just 
Was it the second game that came in after the deadline and he made that pass up the ice for the breakaway goal? Like, that was pure class. He just took the puck away, turned, looked up the ice, saw the breaking man, and. Yeah, I know the player you're talking about. And it immediately made me happy about the trade because he's exactly what you need in that lineup. You're listening to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. You can catch our show on the Hockey Writers Podcast channel, available at thehockeywriters.com. Deal bringing him in changed the entire de- decor and how they played because he kind of quarterbacked him a bit. And you, you then got like more offensive threats. That's the thing I like about it. Having a guy like Lyle's on before that, you only had Tory Crew, who was really an offensive threat. The rest of them are kind of more stay-at-home demon. So when you add another offensive threat, then coaches have to start thinking, right, I've got to have this line out to deal with this person and this line out to deal with that. So it changes how teams play against you and they know that there's depth throughout the lineup instead of just, like, your top two pairs. So I think it's good. Yeah. It's definitely a good signing re-signing him to come back this year yeah, I and think it's that was expensive. probably the best thing yeah I think when you look at the forwards um, I guess maybe just projecting lines or I guess some pairings real quick you obviously got your top line of uh, Marchand and Bergeron that's that's your clear number one line uh, that right wing spot you still don't know who's going to play there uh, are they going to try Jimmy Hayes back up there are they going to put Ryan Spooner in that spot uh, I mean, they said they want David Backus to play center. He's starting the year uh, at center just because of the crazy injury, obviously. But yeah. then do they move Backus up to the uh, the top-line right-wing spot, or do they move into the third-line center? I'm guessing that depends on statistics from the first, what, 10 games while Krejci's out. Right. I assume so they're going to get Pasternak. It... Sorry, yeah. Yeah, if well, if he plays good at centre, why would you move him? That's my kind of thing. Like when you see a player play good somewhere, like Ryan Spooner played okay at right wing at first when he was playing there, and they chose not to move him, and then his stats started to go down, so they moved him back to his natural position. And that's the kind of way I like to see it. If if a guy's hot, keep him where he was hot instead of moving him up the lineup. Like Jackie Bradley Jr. in the ninth hole. Yeah. <laughs> just you just gotta like. To this. <laughs> yeah. There's a. It, it's like we we always see with the Bruins like a player will play well on the third line. So, like when Riley Smith first came in, he was playing third line right wing. He had three or four good games, and all of a sudden he's the first line right winger for the rest of the season. <laughs> And they need to stop doing that. When a guy starts playing well on the third line, keep him on the third line because that's why he's playing well. Well, just to bring up Bradley Smith again, I remember it was his contract year, and he had a pretty bad slump. It was like eighteen to twenty games of like nothing. I remember, and then he went on a little bit of a hot streak, and then the Bruins gave him his extension. And that's yeah. just a bad trend. I think the Bruins have to stop doing that. And nothing against Chris Kelly. Yeah, they see they see the whole, yeah, just like one little bit, like as soon as there's a good bit, that's like right, you deserve getting paid for that. Exactly. I mean, I'm all for loyalty, but at the same time, it's also a business, 
and you've got to be smart about it. I think it's yeah. why Chicago does so well every year because, yeah, you know, hey, Dustin Bufflin, you're great for us. We just won the cup. Uh, you're traded. Andrew Ladd, you're great. You're traded. <laughs> it's yeah. you know, Boston. I'm not saying Boston should start trading away all their star players, but I think maybe you have to plan for the future and the present and not just, oh, hey, you had a good year first last year. Let's give you a big contract to say thank you. Yeah, and we can't go handing out any more big contracts because there's too many guys with big contracts already on the team. And no trades or movement clauses as well. Yeah, that, that's why we were talking the other week about um, should Marshan get seven years, seven million. That worries me uh, because of his age. Yeah. I but want him signed badly. But... Yeah, not only his age, but the fact that then there'll be what... Uh, you got like basically four forwards all in the top six earning six million plus for the next at least four years. Right. And then you've got a guy who can barely skate playing as your top D man who's earning well seven million. Four point two for next season. Not yeah. the season coming the next one. Oh the salary. So like four, yeah. I think it yeah. goes down to like 4.2 or it's 3. It's 4 million next year, yeah. Yeah, so you'll have him earning 4 million if he doesn't retire at the end of this season. Right. Like, they need to start working out how to keep these guys on. Like, the, especially a guy like Marshand is loyal. Like, that that's his best quality, that he is loyal to the Bruins. It's not like he's gone out there and gone, oh, well, I could play here or I could play there. He wants right. to be a Bruin. So, like, exploit that. Be like, yeah, we'll give you, yeah, yeah, we'll give you four years at six million. Like, don't, don't just go out there and be like, oh yeah, seven years, seven million. Yeah, you get that. Well, Cause... to to me, the Marshan deal is is okay with me. I'm fine with that. All right, but what I don't like is the terms of the deal. Now, if you're going to no movement him for two years and then limited trade for two, and then he's not, there's no, you know, scenario after that, I'm fine with that. But if, he's got, if he's got no movement all the way up through his whole career uh, at the end of that contract, I have a problem with that because you need to make players like that expendable if they're not going to produce. If he's not putting up the numbers, it's time to move him. And it's so, you guys know, as diehard Bruins fans, how hard it is to move any player with a significant amount of money with a little bit of term and just not producing points. Yeah, but also, God forbid, we get another Mark Savard on our hands. Mm-hmm. There's and another you one. You resign him, he gets injured, you can't do anything. Right. Because we lost out on a player like Riley Smith for the fact that we want to rid of Savard's contract. And I'm not saying... Smith is some great player, but he's played he played better than Jimmy Hayes did as a Bruin. Certainly did. So And as a Panther, for what it's worth. Well, well yeah. A lot better as a Panther. Yeah. But um this th- that's another thing. Like players going to another team and all of a sudden having like better offensive numbers does not mean that we gave up a superstar. It just means that they're playing a different system, which is more offensive. Because no. I see so many people out there saying, if we trade like Jimmy Hayes now and he goes ahead and puts up like 20-odd goals, 
like he he probably could do that a different team if they played his style of play. Right. So in in Boston we play probably the worst style of hockey, but for the right, right reasons. Yeah, I mean last because... year was, they, they were able to put up points, but it's yeah. not a system where you know goal scorers thrive. It's never been a, goal, a system where goal scorers thrive. I mean, if you're talking about like back in the day of Esposito and Busick, yeah. But over the last 20 years, it's not a team where superstars can say, I'm going to be a superstar. It's a team where you you put the team first, and you have success with that. But, yeah, it's not like a Tyler Sagan would score 37 goals in Boston and, you know, 100 points. It's He'd probably put up 37 goals and 70 points at the most. Yeah, but you when also... People complain that you, you've not got that that guy who can score like I, I see people going oh there's, there's no superstars in Boston and I'm thinking Patrice right Patrice so Patrice. Sagan Sagan scored 37 goals we, we have a guy called Marchand who scored 37 goals right and then you look at Patrice Bergeron being the greatest two way centre that's playing in this era of hockey like you've got a guy like Tukarask who yeah I I know had a couple of iffy seasons, but with a crappy decor, and then a guy who who's won the Vesna before, and then you've got a guy like David Krejci who's your second line centre, and now David Backus is your third line. Like you got to realise how good this team actually is. Yeah, it's I mean, just uh, whether we play the right way. Yeah, it's a matter of the style of play based on the uh, I guess the personnel that, we, that the Bruins have. And it's a matter of just... Uh, I mean, the defense, it's a lot of bottom-pairing defensemen being used in situations that they might not be able to thrive in. Like, nothing against Kevin Miller. I mean, I'm not the biggest Kevin Miller fan, but I also think he's better than he showed last year. And as the season went on, he kind of... I don't think he got... You, know, he did, you can't say he was good, but he got better because he started playing in lower-pressure situations. And that's yeah. what a bottom-pairing defenseman does. They're not supposed to go out there and play against, you know, the Jonathan Taves and the Patrick Kane's of the uh, the league. They're here to play against, you know, the fourth lines, the third lines, give the uh, the top lines some, I guess, just some time to breathe. Yeah, but the the thing that scares me with with the way that they settled that decoy last year was you had a guy like Kevin Miller who was struggling to become a sturdy NHL defenseman, like he he, he hadn't prove that he was ready for a full-time job and then you stuck him with a guy like Joe Morrow who's also trying to prove that he's an NHL defenseman and a rookie at the same time so of course that pair was going to have troubles but well, then you... it, it's that's why I like Kevin Miller and Chara together because you've got a guy like Chara who's got kind of the brains to be able to do what he does and he's got the reach to be able to do what he does. He just can't skate as well anymore. But then you've got a guy like Kevin Miller who can skate quite well, can use his body, and it just it seems like you've got that pairing of Chara and Boychuk back without the skill of Boychuk. But see, instead of putting Kevin Miller up there with Chara, I would put Colin Miller. Because I think that, I mean, just what he's proven at the AHL level, which I know doesn't mean anything at the NHL level. Obviously, it's just a matter of if you can translate that success or not. But Colin Miller's skill set would be perfect for the Bruins' top pair alongside Chara because he's super quick. 
he could easily, you know, Chara can bail him out with his reach and with his defensive awareness. But if a puck gets past Chara and it's a two-on-one, with a guy like Colin Miller, you could hope that he could figure out angles fairly quickly enough. I'm not saying in the first, you know, five, ten games. Give him an addition of 20, 25 games. Let him figure out the NHL lights. Let him figure out the style of play, the speed. And uh, I think he can bail out Chara on a lot of those plays where it's just Chara's too, not slow, but he's just, he's too old to skate now. He can't yeah. back check the way he could. But if you got a quick young kid there skating back, I think it, the line would work perfectly. Oh, and and then was it, not only to mention the two shots. Oh. Sorry, Rob. The two, yeah. the two blasts that they have on the point is uh, scary enough, but... Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, and you get the right-handed and the left-handed shot. It works perfectly. And just and the knowledge you would put on Miller. Yeah, stick them on opposite sides on the power play and exactly. watch those guys blast one time as at the net. Yeah, I'd be scared if I was that goalie. All right. It, you look at look at Colin Miller's first goal in the NHL, and uh, that was a one-timer settled by Tory Krug, and the goalie didn't even move. Yeah, because you like, can see it. That's how hard a shot he had. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I I do like Colin Miller. I just I just don't want him to rush him and think he's a top pairing guy. And want him to like put up top pairing minutes and points and not succeed. Well, that's always the issue that's... in playing in a market like Boston yeah. or you know the New Yorks, the Torontos, the Montreals of the world. You can be an okay player playing in a role that might be above what you're supposed to play in, and you can just get reamed out for not being a star, which is it's acceptable because Boston, there's been so much success in the city in terms of sports between the Red Sox, the Patriots, the Celtics, the Bruins. It's hard to not have high expectations, but at the yeah. same time, there needs to be realistic expectations set on players. And and if you guys uh, saw the recent poll that was out on a lot of the websites about uh, the rankings of the sports, I mean, the mm -hmm. Bruins are taking a beating. Like, like I mean, it's really sad when you're pretty much ranked right near the 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 soccer team the New England Revolution. Revolution yeah it's it's not good times right now for for these fans and I mean not too long ago there's a million people at the uh, the Stanley Cup parade yeah and and, and and at that time Brandon the, the the numbers were more you know Patriots Bruins Red Sox Revolution Celtics or, or you know what I mean right so, it wasn't uh, I mean it goes in waves with whoever's having good seasons and bad seasons. So I'm not overly worried about it, but you're right. Like, to think five years ago, you thought this team could be a contender for the next five to ten years if they play their cards right. Yep. And it's almost as if they just folded a full house. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we're talking to Brandon Cher-Cohen from the HockeyWriters.com and CausewayCrowd.com. Um, Brandon, I'd like to get your, uh, your expectations for the upcoming season. Uh, we did talk about the moves. We did talk about the defense. Now let's realistically have a have a conversation about um, where you see this team in the upcoming season, and uh, and and ultimately, can we break the ice and make the playoffs? You're listening to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. You can catch our show on the Hockey Writers Podcast channel, available at thehockeywriters.com. I don't think it's really in the Bruins' hand. I think the Bruins in the last two years have been so close to the playoffs. And they've just narrowly missed it. I mean, obviously, they've been in the last playoff spot, uh, like the last uh, wildcard spot. They've missed it by what one or two points both times. Um, you've got teams ahead of the Bruins, like 
the Lightning, the Red Wings, uh, even the Senators. I mean, they're building a team there. I don't know how well they're going to play next year, but they're they're definitely in the conversation. Um, the Montreal Canadiens, I'm not sure how they're going to play next year. They could be a bottom five team, or they could have just enough grit and carry price to put into the playoffs. But if the Bruins play the way they played last year, I don't think they're making the playoffs. How about you, Rob? Uh, technically, last season we missed out because of a rule change as well. Because didn't we have more, more points than one of the other wildcard teams? Yeah. But they changed it, so it was a... Because there was a new rule set in place, we were tied or something. Uh, yeah, but... Uh, I'm hoping if we get to the deadline and we're out of the playoff picture... Even if it's just like by a few points, we sell some guys on, and we go for a lower down pick. My... But at the same time, I don't want to get rid of guys who are useful. I want to get rid of guys that we don't need, like Kevin Miller and like Adam McQuaid, guys that are replaceable right. on the free agent market. Because like this season, you could have got rid of a guy like Adam McQuaid. And with his cap it, you could have got a guy like Jason Demers who brings a whole different skill set in for pretty much the same price. And my so, my expert, uh, I'm sorry. What? Uh, um, yeah, I'm. I'm just. I just think, like I said, if we're not in the playoff picture by the deadline, I think we should just sell up and try and hit as well down a pick as possible. Okay, but then what if, for example, the Bruins are having... They have a horrible start to the season. It's just a bad start, but then they rally, and we're 10th, 9th, whatever place it is, we're right outside the playoff picture, but we're on... I don't know, we've won 7 of the last 10. Do you still want Oh, yeah, then go for it. No, no, go for it in that case, but I mean... If things don't look good by the deadline, just... Yeah, I mean, like... Yeah, say you're like, say you've won four of ten, like right. the ten games before the deadline, and you say six points out of the race, sell it. Right. And like, just looking at the standings. It did not look good all year. Yeah. Um, Detroit finished with 93 points, so they finished with the exact same amount of points as the Bruins, but uh, I guess just based on tiebreakers, and they had, I guess, just the fact that they had less losses. They had less win, one less win, but uh, also one less loss, and they got two more overtime losses than us. I guess that's just the, how the uh, the wild card picture broke down. But yeah, both wild card teams came from the Metropolitan. Yeah, so my expectations. Um, I, I mean, I think I'm going to go three for three here and say that um, I'm not overly concerned that this team has gotten better. They made some moves to fill the gaps. Uh, and I, I just don't think that the moves on paper right now are significant enough of to make them uh, make me call a playoff team. It's going to be one of those um, it remains to be seen situations. Um, I just I hope it doesn't come down to like last year that in the final ten games you only needed a 500 record to get in the playoffs, and you know that you blew that. So I I'm kind of a you know a person that just I see situations and if it doesn't get better I'm not going to jump on and just say you know the, the Bruins are going to be a Stanley Cup contender because it's just 
You don't see the moves. You don't see the progression in the office or the, the aggressiveness because you're a salary cap team and, and you're hindered by a lot of the stuff. But um, if there were more moves, especially to the defense, I mean, if they really got a, a, a standout defenseman that's gonna that has the capabilities of changing this whole core, you know, I might say, yeah, but as of right now, nothing. Well, that's the thing. Like, there were moves. There were moves with, I mean, David Backus. You've got Nash coming in. Uh, you've got the buyout of Seidenberg. They were all, those are all very good moves. I mean, the Backus one is left to be uh, determined. I think it was a good deal. The uh, the term concerns me, but we'll see. But like but you, you said, the defense, You didn't replace anybody. They didn't replace... Yeah, you, you, bought, you, bought, you bought Seidenberg out, and you used that money to get on another year of... of um, Lyles. Of John Michael Lyles. That's what I was gonna say. Like there was moves, but there were no moves to the one area of concern. Exactly. The Bruins were like what a top five, top three offense last year. Top five. And you got guys. Yeah, you got Bergeron, you got Marchand, you got even Krejci. You've got uh, you've got players that can play two-way hockey. That's not your concern. You've got Tuukka Rask. Whether people love him or hate him, he's still uh, a top-tier goalie in my mind, at least. And uh, if you would have just fixed the defense a little bit. You know, add a guy. I know that the cost was high. We all we've heard that, you know, that tune sung over and over and over again. But just make any effort, even just bringing in a free agent defenseman to at least compete. I don't know. I just I feel like the defense wasn't touched enough. And I mean, if if Claude Julian wants to start playing guys like Colin Miller and Joe Morrow, that would be fine because Morrow showed a lot of promise last year. So maybe they are making room for the young kids. But I don't understand so. re-signing Miller, uh, Kevin Miller. And I don't understand re-signing Lyles if you're not going to play the young kids and just play those guys anyway. Right. Well, there's, you've got to think as well. Like We're coming up to camp now, and there's going to be some of the younger D-men invited to camp and pre-season and all that stuff. But at the same time, you've already got, you've also got a couple of RFAs that haven't signed that could still be available. Uh, you got, you could get through camp and realize that none of the younger ones are going to make it anywhere near the NHL. Then you go for a trade. So it, it's not done yet. Like I'm not, like I'm not saying there's going to be a blockbuster trade next week, but there's the it's chance obvious. of, yeah, there's. There's options available to have a look at this team once it gets to camp and realise that the decor is not going to work and then turn around and maybe... Like, I've been saying, Kevin Miller on the right team who have the right amount of salary space will be a perfect bottom pairing for him. So, that, that his contract isn't that ugly like how everyone's made it out to be. I think he could be a sturdy player for someone, so some team might want him as part of a package deal. I don't know, but at the same time, another thing that came out this week is we are getting the second round 2017 pick from Oilers. Right. For Chirelli signing. Yeah, so that's, that's going to be the last, this is the last year on that another too. Piece. They're yeah. not, the so, NHL isn't doing that anymore. So that's the last. That's that's an extra piece, yeah. right? That you could put in a trade bit. So, the you got to think as well. There's all like 
every team is now looking at their roster and going, is it right or do we need to move some guys? And do you look at Edmonton? Griber's going to be gone. It looks like Griber's going from Edmonton. Which, mm-hmm. I know that's, like, Griber's not a fix for the Bruins. Like, in no way possible is he going to come in and just play top minutes. But at the same time, you could probably get rid of a guy like Adam McQuaid who has like an injury every season and isn't looking that great on the ice and bring in a guy like Grimer for cheap and play him half of the season and a rookie the other half so I don't know there's possibilities to fix the decor it's just whether they're actually going to bother going out and doing it because Sweeney's job's on the line and does he really want to mess about with this squad and anger like anyone in charge I don't know well to me it's the obvious thing that you if you can't do player to player in a, in a trade um, and a lot of teams out there are probably looking at the, the prospect roster and they're, they're like you know if, if we want to make this deal this player is going to be involved and I'm really not sure this organization wants to fool around with their future. Well, no, because there's a lot of good pieces. Like, I can name a ton of players that I'm very high on in our prospect uh, pool. Pretty much the entire 2015 draft. I think that was a fantastic draft. Um, yeah. Last, this, the one that just passed, the 2016 draft. I like McAvoy a lot. Uh, Lingering, I'm a fan of, but other than that, I'm not, I wasn't too high on any of their prospects. Not that I don't like them. They just weren't high on my list. Yep. Um, then you've got Pasternak. You've got you know Donato, Heinen, Bjork. You've got some good prospects coming up. And you've got, obviously, Greslick, uh, Ogara. You've got a lot of players in the system that could step up. But it's just not their time now. And I'm glad they're not rushing them. Like, it's two years of missed playoffs, and you're not hearing, like, well, Brandon Carlo needs to play this year, and Greslick needs to play this year, and Ogara needs to play this year people at least are being patient and realizing yeah, they're still kids and they still need to develop and if you ruin that or if you trade them away, then you really have nothing. Alright, so now that we're talking a little bit about prospects, I I have a question for you both and uh, if there's an available spot, let's let's just say a forward first. Let's just theoretically say there's a right wing spot or, or any forward position. Who would you like to see get that shot? Seth Griffith. I'm in on Griffith too. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna say Griffith. There's three guys that are like Oh, I get a couple Griffith. more too. Me too. Like Danton Heinen. Like yeah, I was gonna say Danton Heinen for left wing, Griffith for right wing, and Austin Zarnick for centre. Yeah. They're the three guys that if there's an injury or whatever, I wanna see him in a spot. Trailer. I'm real I'd also like to know how far Sinition is too. Well, he's mm-hmm. uh, I, I I'm good on I've been following Sinition very very closely. Uh, and, and for the people that don't know, Zachary was uh, picked in the 2015 uh, NHL draft pick. NHL draft. 15th overall. Yeah, 15th overall. Um, and he plays for the uh, Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds of the Ontario Hockey League. And I've been following him uh, even before he was a Bruin. So. Um, his first year, uh, fourth line minutes, he got 26 goals. Then he drops up to a, a top six uh, role, 
and he scores uh, 40, I believe 46. I, his, his progression is, is going very well. And I, I see, I, I'd like to see him have a very good, I'm going to be at the Bruins rookie camp and the Bruins training camp this year. And I'm very excited to see him play because he did not make it to the development camp, which I was there for four days because he had uh, an illness with mono. He's my. I want to see him really produce, and I, I read in, uh, in an article um, by Emily Benjamin, who used to work for the Bruins and now works for NHL.com. Uh, went to Sault Ste. Marie and had a conversation with him, and he is he is mind struck on working hard over this summer, and his goal is to make the Bruins this year. Whether it happens or not, I'd rather see him stay one more year in the, in, with, the, with the Greyhounds in the OHL and then either make the Bruins after, after next season or start off in the, in the AHL with the Providence Bruins and then transfer your way into the NHL roster. But regardless, I see his progression moving up. Uh, I believe he could probably score 50 goals this year. I don't know that he needs to play in the O again this year, though. Yes, he I has think. to. If he doesn't make the NHL, he has to go back. No, that's what I'm saying. If, if he doesn't, I mean, if he produces well enough, I think he could uh, actually steal that job. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Brandon. I, I, I just took that totally wrong. No, no, it's okay. I mean, he's 19, so yeah, yeah. based on the rules, uh, he would have to play back in the uh, in the CHL. But no, if he can steal a job, and it. It's really not out of the realm of possibility, just given the right-wing depth on the team. He could still be a solid fourth-liner this year and then work his way up. But See, uh, I the, don't think he's going to make the with, roster. With him, with him I, I think the best spot for him on the team, and I know this is going to sound stupid, but it's next to Bergeron, like on that first line. Even this year? You have Bergeron out there. Yeah, if, if he makes it this year... I'd put him with him for the main reason that Bergeron will cover him, right. but like, defensively. So he... You're listening to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. You can catch our show on the Hockey Writers Podcast channel, available at thehockeywriters.com. You've got Bergeron and Marshawn to cover you, who are two of the best plus-minus players out there. So I'd rather him be there than on the fourth line and doing something wrong and there being no cover but also he had speed to that first line and every time there's been speed added to that first line they've produced mm-hmm. like when Griffith first ki- first came in and played on that first line like, like team, yeah teams didn't know how to deal with them because as soon as like they go out and they think right I'm playing against Bergeron and Marshall there's not a ton of speed it's going to be more like grinded out hockey and no it's all of a sudden you've got one guy streaking in behind the D and they're gone so I, I think he'd be good with them and he brings he brings that same type of thing that they've usually had where you have kind of a guy who's more known for his shot on the right side so yeah, I'd, lo- I'd love to see him next to Bergeron as well but I'm just thinking just based on how Claude Julien is, uh, has run a oh, system yeah. in the past, I think he'd be more of a fourth liner to start. But, I mean, if you do play him on the top of the line, you're talking about a guy who's... He's got an NHL size. He's 6'2", he's about 200 pounds, I think just under 200. 
Um, he's not afraid to go to the dirty areas of the ice. He goes to the front of the net. He'll he'll poke away at the uh, at the loose pucks in the in the crease. He's got a good shot. It's right-handed, so he's perfect for that. Um, Say so you put an NHL-sized player with a decent shot and with a willingness to you know play his role. I think he could very well succeed in the Bruins system if he's given the opportunity to. I'd I'd like to see that opportunity come in the front line too. Uh, and I, I take away the the whole you know scenario with with Julian, but right. um, I'd rather see him get a roster spot than a person like Tyler Randall. You know what I mean? I, I'm not. I, you know I was all about the toughness of hockey players and this and that, but uh, you know it's time to adjust to what the league is going. It's going faster. The the the, the enforcer is is slowly you know dissipating. So. I want to see four lines of speed and depth, and I don't believe a player like Tyler Randall is is where I want to see this team going forward. Um, I believe he's a signing. The Randall signing over the summer was uh, one that is uh, a signing to make more uh, time for people to prospects to slowly work themselves in. I agree. Is Randall not? Clasp more of a goal scorer now after them two magical games. Yeah, I know. His, uh, his was it his Corsi went nuts. Yeah, because he scored two goals on three shots. Yeah, a lot of people who weren't Bruins fans all of a sudden started tweeting about who is this Tyler Randall. I know without it... even looking at him and realizing that he's huge and yeah. just scary, thinking he's the next. Alexander Ovechkin. Yeah, no. <laughs> and his and his fantasy his fantasy hockey numbers went up for those people that don't pay attention at all, and they were picking him. And then a week later, it's like, oh, yeah. why did I do this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why did I pick a guy who Claude Julian doesn't want to use, and he's just going to be on the bench the entire season? And then even then, um, while Randall is definitely tougher than Sinitian, Sinitian's no pushover either. No. You're talking about like, I mean, not to bring up you know sour memories, but Brett Connolly. He's not a pushover either, and he had a lot of success on the Bergeron Marchand line. Maybe not in terms of points, but just as a player, he was very solid. Yeah. So as long as you don't hinder that line, as long as you can contribute where you can, and I think Sinitian would contribute better than uh, than Connolly. Obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty, and Connolly was a sniper back in his junior days, even in the AHL. But uh, yeah. knowing that he isn't now, I think you know just. With a blank slate, Sinitian could step up there, be a decently physical force who can put up points. That might be that future right wing uh, player on that line, assuming that Marchand is still there after this year. Well, we got and we got about ten minutes left to go. That, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Assuming that Bacchus doesn't take that right wing spot as well. Right, which might be better this year, just because of the experience, the play style. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, in the future. Yeah, there wasn't enough... Uh, I, I was saying last year all season that there wasn't enough of a presence in front of the net. We played like a kind of a like uh, rotation system and we didn't... There wasn't really that many guys in front of the net. It was more... The only guy that I really saw screening most of the plays was Bergeron and he screens in the high slot, not low down, so... And then even when you it's go to the power play, like, like well, Erickson, yeah, he was screening he just uh, in the power like play. Right 
he would stand yeah. there. But then by the end of the year, you could see like he wasn't screening, I guess a traditional screen. He was just hovering yeah. around the crease. So yeah. again, it's not, it's not like when you have Chara staying in front of the net, or who used to cover it in 2011. I'm trying to think. I remember none of the power plays, but they had a lot of big players who would just go to the front of the net and screen. I guess it could have just been anybody. But anyway, you have more of a traditional screen back then, and it works better than just having players, like you said, who constantly cycle. Yeah. It, it just it takes away a D-man down low. So it turns into a 2-on-2 down low instead of a 3-on-3. So, mm-hmm. And with guys like Bergeron and Marchand on a 2-on-2, those guys have enough skill to get a shot on net and if you look at what Bacchus has done over the past two years for the Blues, I'd say 75% of his goals have come from either tip-ins or screening the goalie and picking up a rebound. So right. it's the perfect position for him to be in front of that net all the time. So I hope they do. Alright, uh, we've only got a couple of minutes left to go, but I wanted to get both of your opinions on the goaltending, speaking of the net. Um, how are your expectations for Tuka Rask this year? Um, do you guys believe that he's uh, he's capable of turning this around? And how about his his uh, backup, which is a new backup but returning backup uh, to the Boston Bruins organization and Anton Hudobin? I like the signing a lot. Um, I was a big fan of Hudobin before he left for Carolina at the time. I believe it was him and Rask both waiting for their contracts, and instead of just waiting, uh, Hudobin ended up signing with Carolina, I guess in hopes of having a starting job. But then Rask signed his big contract. But the year before that, like Rask got his big contract because he was just a, a stud player. And I think that has a lot to do with having the confidence of knowing, hey, I've got this other guy who will take the games when I'm not playing. And it, Rask is a competitor, regardless of how people want to say you know, he missed games because he was sick, both in the Olympics and in the NHL. Or, you know, he doesn't seem to be as committed as he once was. He's a, he's a really big competitor, and he likes to play. And when you've got players that you're not super confident in the net, it's harder to say, hey, I'll take a day off so I can be, you know, fresh for the next five games. If you don't have a, a player like Hadobin who can take over for that one game and get you a win. So now that he knows, hey, this guy has experience in our system, this guy has experience behind me, I know he can get us wins... I can take this day off and be comfortable, relax this game, and then you know be fresh for the next week, week and a half. So, so I so, think it's a good move. So Brandon, you're confident. I'm very confident, but the issue again goes back to the defense. Yeah, it's always going to go back there. But I like what Rob said. <clears throat> I think it was John Shaker, the uh, the new GM of the Coyotes. He was saying defense isn't about defending; it's just about getting the puck to the forwards. And I think the Bruins have a lot of players that can do that now in you know Krug, Lyles. Colin Miller and right. Joe Morrow. That fast transition. Off, exactly. Yeah. That first pass is so important. So if you do that and you make sure that you, you cover your angles properly, I think the year could be better in terms of uh, that first pass. But in terms of actual defensive play, I guess we'll see with those odd man rushes what Rask and Hedobin can do. But yeah, I'm hopeful. Rob? I'm always hopeful when it comes to the Bruins goaltending. I love our starting goaltender. I think he's the best thing that came in a trade in the past 10 years. Uh, yeah, I 
I just think he, he's going to do the whole 30 wins again. Uh, uh, he's going to shut up a lot of fans. And then, I, I love the way you put it, how he can be be relaxed now that he's got a backup goaltender that he knows can Win those games, Rob. You brought this up a couple. You brought this up a couple uh, podcasts ago when we talked about this and when the, and the yeah. signing. You really liked the Kudobin, the Hudobin signing. Yeah, because not only are him and Rass friends, so it, it adds that factor to it that there'll be a compete level there uh, between friends. So that adds a special little something to the mix. But at the same time, like. Look at the amount of times that Rask has been called into games in relief and look how pissed off he is that he knows that he's not getting a day off. Like, there was, uh, was it the Subban one where he let three or four, three goals three in? Three goals was it on four six goals? shots. Yeah. Yeah. It was three saves and three straight goals. Yeah, well, go back and watch that footage and yeah, watch it. When watch it his body language. Yeah, because his head drops. Oh yeah, he's, he's like, are you, are you freaking sla- kidding me? Yeah. He slams his glove onto the floor to, and then goes down to pick his helmet up because he knew he knew he was going to go in, and then he gives a big sigh and gets on the ice. And that that to me is you can't have a goalie go in like that, right. cold and pissed off. And just in need of the time off. They're never good. Yeah. Because, like, I've, I've played, like, double games before where I've played on a Saturday and a Sunday, and I'm only playing beer league-type hockey, and I am bruised and battered and dead by the end of it. So I can't imagine a guy who's just played 40 games in a couple of months, and then he's got to go out there and do a double header because the other goal is not qualified enough to play one or two games. All right. Thank, oh, well, that's about it. We got we only got about a couple minutes Definitely. left, so yeah. Um, I want to thank uh, Brandon Share Cohen. Uh, he's a hockey writer at thehockeywriters.com and a Bruins writer at the uh, CausewayCrowd dot com. Uh, thank you so much, Brandon. We had a lot of fun. Uh, we really look forward to having you back again sometime soon. And uh, yeah, if, you, if, you like, if you'd like to take the opportunity and uh, explain where people can find you, uh, Twitter or anything else, here's your time. Uh, yeah, so like Mark uh, mentioned, I'm on Causeway Crowd. I'm a co-editor there, uh, The Hockey Writers. Uh, Twitter, at BShareCohen. Uh, I guess that's about it. Yeah. yeah. I'm he- glad to be here. Enjoyed the opportunity to talk with you guys about some Bruins hockey getting that look on uh, I guess the past few seasons and the future it was, uh, it was good no yeah yeah definitely a good show yeah thanks for coming on it's my pleasure definitely I was I really look forward to our conversation about a week ago and leading up to this was uh, like a kid in the candy store because I actually do I really enjoy your writing and what you have to offer so this was uh, good as and you're our second guest so we had Andrew Thompson on uh, um, a couple months ago from the uh, Causeway Crowd too. I'm sure you're very familiar with Andrew. Yep, definitely. Yeah, so he was on. We're going to have him soon. He's got a pretty conflicting schedule, so we're working on getting him. And we're also working on getting a former player that played for the Bruins. I'm going to keep that a secret. And we are also looking at other writers in the in the Boston um, sports community to come on and talk hockey with us. So 
um, for uh, Brandon. Uh, Rob, uh, we can, you can find me, Mark, at THW Black and Gold. You can find Rob at Rob 40 Bruins. Did I get it right this time? Yeah, yeah, yeah you got it right. About time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, again, we'd like to thank you, all the supporters. Uh, like I said in the beginning of the show, we passed 2,000 listens. Uh, keep going. We really appreciate it. Uh, we, we can't do this every week without your support and uh, the support of the Hockey Writers, SoundCloud, and Apple iTunes. So for all of us, thank you very much for listening, and hopefully we'll be back next week with a, uh, another guest uh, or, uh, or, and or some more hockey talk. Take care, everybody, and thank you. Thanks. Take care. for tuning in to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Please join us next week for another discussion of Bruins hockey-related material.